Welcome to the Business of You podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Gogos. This podcast is dedicated to helping you uncover how to turn your big idea into big business and grow your personal brand into the business of your dreams. Each week, I'll talk to founders of all kinds of businesses, exploring how they launched and grew their companies. Behind every successful business is an epic journey, one that can serve as a roadmap to help you grow yours. The Business of You is all about frank conversations and unique business wisdom for the entrepreneur. It's a chance to tune into the story behind the brand and retrace the path of those who walked this road before you so you can pave your own road to success. Welcome to the Business of You. Hello, friends. Today, we have a very special topic that we're covering. It is called the art of designing your life. And to share her insights on design, on the art of designing your life today, we have a return guest, our first return guest to the show. Her name is Susie DeVille. You may remember her. She's been on before, as I mentioned, when she was talking about her book, Buoyant, The Entrepreneur's Guide to Becoming Wildly Successful, Creative, and Free. What I love about Susie is she has just a spark at all times. No matter time of day you talk to her, she is always laughing, always happy, and really living life on her terms. It's She has a contagious spirit about, about this. In fact, she traveled for four months this past year uh, living in Europe and working from Europe and really designed her life um, going forward to be spending this kind of time in Europe and being able to work from there. Susie has also built a very successful real estate business. Um, she is a commercial real estate specialist and she works in the North Carolina Highlands area. But Susie's real passion work today is with her business, Innovation and Creativity Institute. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I hope it inspires you to design your life on your terms because the clock is ticking, my friends. I know that's something that I feel strongly. Um, I, I'm feeling more than ever the desire to really live an intentional and thoughtful and proactive life. So I hope this inspires you to do the same if that's something that's of importance to you. Enjoy today's episode. Well, we have a repeat guest today, the very first one, Susie DeVille. Welcome back to the show. How are you today? Thank you so much for having me. I am fabulous. I am excited to talk about today's topic, which is the art of designing your life. Um, sounds like a very lofty, luxurious goal, but I know as we hear your personal story, we're all going to figure out ways to make this a very attainable, um, attainable goal for the, the rest of the days that we have here on this earth. So let's start first by telling me what, what does this mean, this title to you, the art of designing your life? Well, I think it's all about being very aware and intentional with regard to how we spend our days. And as the author Annie Dillard has said, how we spend our days is how we spend our lives. And I have been um, playing around with creating a curriculum to help people with both of those things and bring an artful approach to it. So that we incorporate 
one of the ways that we tap into our powerful innate creativity um, as we leverage and build more and more tolerance for uncertainty and creating more courage to actually do the things that bring us alive after we have created our plan. So Mm. it's both designing and mapping out what it is that we want to have happen and then having the courage to live it. Mm. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you brought up uncertainty because I have to say the last couple of years I've been feeling, I, I, I try to live life very intentionally and very thoughtfully, but I feel like these last couple of years because of the conditions just around the planet and politically and um, geographically, I feel like, gosh, it's really hard to plan lately, right? Because what if I plan a trip and there's a, a shutdown again, or what if I plan this? So I have personally found myself not planning too far out into the future so I can be more adaptable, but would love to hear your thoughts on how you know, you've done some really amazing things these last couple of years and a lot of first time things in your life from launching a book to traveling for four months of a, you know, of a full year and still working without missing a beat. So can you share, Susie, um, some of your experiences these last couple of years and how you've managed planning in these uncertain times? Because you are like a heads down, I'm going to do this kind of girl. And you do it. I, I love watching it unfold, but I would love to hear the behind the scenes. Well, I I would like to take folks back to where I got my um, courage to deal with uncertainty training wheels, which was during my nuclear winter period, um, which started when the markets crashed in 2008. And I was really faced with quite the dilemma because everything in my life imploded at that point, my finances, my marriage, my health, et cetera. And I needed to have a plan to get out of this mess that I was in. And part of that plan um, was to launch my own real estate company. I had been licensed at that point for seven years um, in 2008. And, um, I started thinking about, okay, how can I do this? By the end of 2010, I actually went ahead and did it. And not only did I launch my own company, I renovated, um, part of a building for my office and people thought I was insane (laughs) because, we are still in the Great Recession. It is a time of short sales and foreclosures. We don't have a lot of activity in the market. I am $250,000 in debt at this point, and I'm starting a business <laughs> in a market that is dead. And um, But I could see where it was going. I could feel where it was going. I've always had a really, really good crystal ball when it comes to markets and understanding shifts. And so I just put everything, I bet everything on myself. I bet everything on the equivalent of 29 red and spun the wheel. (laughs) And um, in three years, I was um, financially free. So that, because I was forced to make this huge leap and to just not only stick my toe into the waters of uncertainty, but dive into the deep end of it 
And I was going to float by golly. (laughs) I was going to find a way. I had to support my son and myself. And it was just, there was no option for me. So that gave me this uh, muscular memory to know that anytime I'm about to, to do something that is filled with uncertainty or there's uncertainty surrounding me in my life, I just go, I've been here before. I can do this. I also have a practice that I do every single day, um, which involves meditating and walking and creating art and reading things that inspire me. And that is a huge benefit to really filling the well of this uh, self-trust that is required to move with agility and speed in uncertain times. Um, The other is when I made the decision to travel, um, I planned this trip, you know, kind of on the, I I sort of planned the outside edges of it. I knew roughly what I was going to do, but I didn't get into the details of it. I wanted it to be an adventure. And the adventure part of it was as as exciting as the destinations that I was going to. This fact that I was willing to not overly obsess in true Susie, what I call the version of me that's all, you know, controlling and obsessed with mapping everything out, Susie clipboard (laughs) versus Susie explorer. And I leaned into that um, wide open possibility of space and time and adventure and fun. And so when I lean there, I am 100% consistently rewarded. Mm -hmm. That always comes back into the experience. And so um, I knew I could travel with my uh, mic and my laptop and my camera and, and my document camera and teach and figure it out on the fly. And so I didn't have a lot of clothes with me, <laughs> but I had a whole bunch of art supplies and a whole bunch of things that I could use to teach with. And that's, that's like exactly how it turned out. And it was amazing. Mm. How did the book launching a book? I and mean, so you had, you know, if we rewind a little bit in your story. So you, you started the real estate company um, in three years, you said you were financially free. How many years or what year was it that you started the Innovation and Creativity Institute? That actually, the first iteration of it started in 2006. Hmm. Um, the very, very first iteration, it was called Innovation Compass at that point. That's right. And so it evolved from being purely about strategy and coaching to including this entire um, core principle of my my work, which is tapping into innovation and creativity. So my own personal experience, the research that I had done from 2005 to the present, and then this journey that I went on during my nuclear winter period, all of that got folded into my book because I knew when I was in my, you know, flames of hell, I knew that I could get, if I could figure it out, I could 
teach people how to do the very same thing. Mm -hmm. And I knew that part of it had to do with innovation and creativity, that the answers were there. And I knew that part of it had to do with releasing this approach to life and to work, which was all about being on the gerbil wheel and more productivity and working harder and more discipline. Mm -hmm. I knew it had something to do with that. So as I started working on the book and I started bringing in the own, my own experiences and my own lessons and those of my clients, because I was testing this on all of my clients and the results were amazing in my own personal life and in all of my clients' lives. So I took all of those case studies and experiences and then created content and lessons and exercises that are easy and fun for people to do. And so all of that went into the book. Mm -hmm. And the book came out in 2022, right? Correct, September September. 6th. So what year was it with the with the Innovation and Creativity Institute that you started really monetizing that business to a level where you felt like, oh, this is a, you know, a real legitimate business. That was probably, um, I was making money right out of the gate, but I wasn't devoting the time to it because I was still predominantly working in the real estate world. Mm -hmm. So from the very beginning, my time started out somewhere around 15% doing Mm -hmm. the, um, what was then Innovation Compass. And then around 2012, I increased that to about, I would say, 40% of my time. And then when I sold my business in 2018, um, it went to, you know, 95%. Mm Um, So I still do real estate because it is incredibly fun and rewarding work for me to do. Um, But I'm very selective on um, the folks I work with and the kinds of deals that I do. Um, And so I I leveraged the the cash from my sale Mm -hmm. um, to fund the time for me to write my book Mm -hmm. and um, create content around an entirely new way of um, working with clients. Mm. Brilliant. The other thing I love too, just about keeping the real estate part of your life open is you also just have, you know, very diversified income streams, right? Like two completely different industries. So should something happen to one industry, you could lean more heavily into another one, which I think is, is a real smart approach as well. I would just say too, for folks who are thinking about You know, I'm kind of at a crossroads here and I'm doing this particular business or I have this particular job and it's not really the be all end all in terms of my passion. And I have my eye on maybe launching a new business or or, or launching a business for the first time. I always encourage people to um, stay in your existing job or stay in your existing business and start stocking your escape capsule with money and supplies and resources and teams of people who can help you and connections and whatever it is that you think you're going to need to be successful. Try to stockpile that into your escape hatch first while you're still 
working the other business. And then when you transfer over and do either a complete switch entirely, or like I did just, you know, lot uh, more time in the new enterprise than the, the former one, you are not in a position of being panicky around your resources and how much runway you have. You are able to build in a very thoughtful way without grasping for every single client that comes through. You're able to really focus on your ideal market and then leverage um, those resources to then make those bigger and bigger and bigger deals. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's great advice. And I know, you know, we're both big believers in just quantum energy and in physics. And I think the energy you bring to working with your clients, you know, in any business is very much felt and magnetic, right? Um, before somebody even becomes a client. So I, I think the strategy you shared is also a way to just keep your energy high and positive and attracting the right people to you. 1000%. And people, you know, our markets can tell before we say a word, if we are in alignment with our true selves. Mm -hmm. And without that alignment, if we're not connected to ourselves first, we're not going to connect to our markets. Um, also, when we are joyful and having fun and playing around and experimenting and saying, I wonder what if I do this, what will happen? Rather than, oh my God, where's my next dollar coming from? <laughs> There's, there's the brain is going to shut down all of our access to our creativity back channels just dries up. And so it's a, the, it's um, a combination of aligning your energy as you, as you very astutely pointed out, and also having this clear access to your best thinking and um, your delicious, adventurous, agile mind. Mm. How has the book changed or impacted, let's say, the course of your business? Well, when I started the process of pre-launch, so when we went into the last phases of production with the book, and I had, um, you know, several months um, available to me to really think about how I was going to do my launch, and of course, as you well know, you were a major part of that because you did my website for the, I can't remember, fourth time, third time. Yeah. And um, so as I was thinking about this new face into the world in terms of my platform, I started thinking about new kinds of classes. And so I launched the Sketchbook Entrepreneur Masterclass. And that really started get to get the ball rolling in terms of my ideation for other things that I could offer. So the book has introduced me to all kinds of new audiences mm -hmm. and audiences have been introduced to me. And that has been such a beautiful um, sort of synergetic relationship because as I am reaching into new markets and those markets are reaching out to me, we're seeing where the content could be leveraged in ways that I never even dreamed of mm. and um, how powerful it is in industries that didn't occur to me um, initially either. And potentially one of the biggest surprises for me has been the 
the younger market who currently is not um, in an, an entrepreneurial venture, they're thinking that this world is not a fit for them. They're not sure what it is that they want to do with their lives. And they are not just a little bit frightened over that. And so they have reached out to me and said, this is the first time where I feel like there's a fit for me in the world. I can see how I'm going to figure this out. And rather than being so intimidated by everything, I'm excited about Mm. the possibilities. So that has been a huge, um, delicious surprise for me. And um, being able to leverage all of this in ways and serve people um, in, in numbers that I never possibly dreamed of um, has been just absolutely profoundly rewarding. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What is it about the book that you think is resonating with young people so much? Most of the comments that I get from, from especially like the Gen Z mm-hmm. um, folks is that you're, you're approaching this entire possibility of of tapping into your creativity as a way to leverage and create the life that you want. And these folks have said, I've, you know, while I've never really considered myself, you know, as a creative person or as an artist, I now see where I didn't have the definition right. Mm. And they are leaning into my definition of, and my, um, um, sort of tenets of philosophy of how we get to the freedom that we crave. And it's not through a whole bunch of work. And it's not by taking the, the you know, the yucky job that we hate, even though it might be lucrative. It is about getting down to um, agency over your life, which is a- obtained by tapping into your creativity. And how we tap into our creativity is by literally inspiring ourselves by breathing in things that bring us alive. And so they're excited about the fact that they don't have to be a person that they don't want to be. Their job is to just discover who it is they truly are. And that is laid out, you know, it's, it's, there's a series of steps that you can go through and exercises that are in the book that help you figure all of that out. And so they're, they feel that, that for once they have this sense of empowered mm-hmm. agency where they have felt on the, on the sort of outskirts of society for the majority of their life. Yeah, I think one of the challenges for for the late high school um, college demographic is that there there's such a prescription, right, to um, next steps and how they should live their lives and in what order they should do things. And I have found they're just never they're never asked to figure out who they really are. Um, what their strengths are, what their passions are. And I think that's such a disservice, frankly, in our education institutions. And I'm I'm glad that there's tools like yours um, to, you know, to help kids figure that out. Because I do think it's actually on the verge of becoming a big pandemic for, for these, for that, again, that demographic in mm-hmm. terms of feeling paralyzed. 
when you and I talk about this a lot um, versus productive and feeling like, Hey, let me take this new chapter of life here and really intentionally design it um, for what I want. Yes. Well, I was just going to add this group um, and and this is true for all of us, but I think it's especially uh, important to point out that this is such a focused um, concern for Gen Z um, kids slash young adults is they intuit that these prescriptions that you pointed out are not going to serve them. These prescriptions are going to be outdated, outmoded, um, somewhat irrelevant to what they ultimately do with their lives. Now, I'm not poo-pooing some of those prescribed things, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but the vast majority of the jobs that these folks will have don't even exist yet. And they know that that's true. And that's where some of this, you know, how do I train for the future? I can't even see yet. How do I get to where I want to go? When, as you pointed out, how do you make these decisions when there's all this uncertainty Mm -hmm. and where it is so resonant for these um, folks who are reading the book is that they're seeing, oh, okay. I'm going to be ready regardless of what happens. I'm going to be able to make those decisions um, in times of uncertainty with confidence and courage. And I'm going to be able to reinvent myself as I need to, or as Mm -hmm. I desire to, because I have the tools to do that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Which is a perfect segue. So how would you break down for somebody, anybody listening, just, you know, regardless of age or, or, whatever industry they're in, how would you suggest to them that they go about designing their life? So I like to start everybody with um, just a very simple exercise, which is to write down exactly what your ideal day is. And beginning with the moment that you wake up, what are you doing first? How are you spending your hours during the day and the evening before you go to sleep at night? And then once you have all of that written down, and it, it you know can take you maybe 30 minutes or so to sort of think it through, and, and then it's important not to censor this. This is your ideal day after all. <laughs> don't, uh, don't limit it. Don't say, oh, that's not possible. Um, you will be surprised at how possible it is. Um, after you have this mapped out, it's important to review it and look at it for things that will be surprising to you. The vast majority of the people I take through this process are amazed that the things that they typically think are the important things to them. Oh, I need to have X number of dollars in the bank or this thing or that thing. How simple and how beautiful this ideal day is and how actually little (laughs) it requires. People are not writing about, you know, doing the backstroke in piles of cash like Scrooge McDuck. They're <laughs> they're writing about moments of um, deep connection and expression and transformation. Those are the the end experiences, right? Just these incredible experiences. They're not looking for the next big purchase. 
So I think that's really interesting because it starts to show you, wait a second, I can do my ideal day. I can live my ideal life for a lot less than I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, then it's important to start to um, remember the things that perhaps that you used to do mm-hmm. that you stopped doing when life got busy and make a list of those things. And for those folks who don't have a whole list of those Oh gosh, you know, I used to do, for me, it was world travel. I used to travel all over the place. And then when I got married and started having kids, it was, that stopped for obvious reasons. <laughs> you can't go, you know, departing the world that you live in um, to, you know, do what I did this year, which is spend four months in Europe. So bringing those things back into your life, but if you don't have those things, then one way that you can access that is by doing what I call a play histories exercise, where you go back and you think through five or so times in your life, and it can be when you were a child or it could be last week, where you felt totally open and free and joyful and connected to your true self. And write a paragraph about what was happening, what you were doing during that time. And then go back and circle the verbs and it's really interesting to see what patterns show up for you. For me, when I did this exercise the first time, it was led, wrote, created, made, started. I had all of those kinds of words um, appear over and over again. So you have now your ideal day. You have a list of what you used to do that you want to bring back into your life. You have some play histories and some verbs now, then you can begin to understand more clearly, okay, I've got the rough edges of of this map now. Mm -hmm. Now, how am I going to do this? So it's important to try to figure out what the numbers are. When you look at what you want to do and you see this design of of your life, your desired life, what resources really are required? to do that. And I just want to caution listeners because we tend to believe, well, I can't do this thing until I have, you know, $5 million in the bank or whatever it is. Um, You can start now. I want to be so emphatic about this. You can begin bringing the things back in today and that will give you momentum. And it will also help you leverage the sort of quantum field because Mm -hmm. once that magic starts it keeps amplifying and it keeps introducing you to new possibilities and to new opportunities and to new people and more support and other resources other ideas and so it's a lot closer to you than you might think Mm -hmm. and the amount of money that you need is by far less than you can possibly imagine. So find out what your real numbers are and don't fall into the trap of, oh, it's got to be, you know, typically what people do is say, I will be comfortable if I have X amount of money. Mm -hmm. And when I ask them what they currently have, the X amount that they're after is generally two times what they have currently. Mm -hmm. So 
the 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 mind and how it works around money. I'm not saying money isn't important. It's very important. Um, but there's ways for us to get the ideal life that we're after that requires far less money in the moment and certainly over the long term. So there's the part of um, designing your life that's right, like laying out the strategic plan, the visioning, as you said, the writing pieces down. And then there's the second part, the implementation part. What do you think is required of a person to implement their plan? And what what have you seen in some of your clients and friends um, in the circle of your life of are really needed attributes for those that are actually implementing um, the life that they designed? So the first thing is, is to um, rally your courage Mm -hmm. and to understand where your resistance is, where your fear is. And because I was talking actually with someone, you know, with several days ago about something along these lines and she has the resources. She has the time. Um, she has the intellect. She has the skill set, and she's terrified. So we started talking about, okay, well, let's first understand the fear and what its composition truly is. I have a new theory about this, <laughs> and that is is that I think that when we're thinking about doing something so big and so exciting and so adventurous, and then this fear just comes into our guts, I think about 30% of that is genuine, authentic fear. Mm -hmm. I think the other 70% is actually mislabeled excitement. I think that this incredible state of excitement that we can get in our bodies, it's like the butterflies on steroids. It's this feeling of, oh my gosh, if I could actually really do that. And then you feel this shiver of electric currents going through your body where you're just super excited. And then it sort of comes back to your stomach and you're thinking, I am super afraid of all of this. (laughs) And I'm not saying that there's not genuine fear, but it's in the vast minority, in my opinion. I think that just like we are, um, sometimes when we're creating things and tapping into that part of us, it feels almost like we can be overtaken by Mm -hmm. this force of being so deep in our creativity. And that's why we'll do things to actually turn the valve off. Mm. Um, We'll start disconnecting from ourselves. We'll start overworking or numbing out and making choices that, you know, cut us off from that part of ourselves because it's so powerful. And I think there's a relationship between that and what we do when we're super excited about Mm -hmm. something. And so we're trying to kind of um, calm it down. Mm -hmm. Right. We're trying to turn the light down. We're trying to turn our own energy down because it's foreign to feel this incredibly buzzy, big joy and excitement. Mm -hmm. So if we can bring 
kind of an observer status to this where we can go, I'm super excited and I'm also scared. I'm more excited than I am afraid. I can work with that, right? So that's kind of step one. Um, The next part is, in addition to fear, the sidecar concern to that is this concern of being judged. Hmm. Well, if I go to Europe for four months, what's quote unquote, everyone going to (laughs) think? Or if I do this big thing and launch this big thing, is everybody going to think I'm, you know, too big for my britches or whatever? Mm. Um, Or there could be one person from your family or your friend circle who poo-poos all of your big stuff because it's threatening to them. And you're concerned about um, if I live this big, I'm going to lose this person. You know, I fear this loss. Mm. And so being clear about where you feel like you're going to be judged and sort of rooting that out and not sweeping it under the rug. Because once you really are understanding, your everybody tends to be literally one or two people. And they tend to be people whose opinions, when we really figure out who they are, we don't really care about their opinion of us. And we're letting these people drive how we live our lives because we're not conscious about these decisions that we're making. And every single time I take people through this exercise, okay, who's your everybody? Let's really figure it out. It could be like the nosy neighbor next door. And they're like, oh my God, I have let the nosy neighbor lady next door drive my decision-making for five years. How is that even possible? So once people kind of wake up to it, yeah, it's pretty easy to over overcome that um, part of the process. And then the last is really helping to connect you back to your own creativity and expressing that and disbelieving the lie that you're not creative, that you're not an artist. And there's so many different things that you can make with your hands. It can be something in the kitchen or it can be something in a journal. It doesn't matter as long as you're moving your hands and playing around. The product that you make is irrelevant. It's just the act of being in this liminal world Mm -hmm. of suspension and connection to yourself and to your soul and to the magic of the energy of what I think is the creation of, of uh, the divine creation of everything. Mm-hmm. You're tapped into that when you are making things. This gives you an unbelievable advantage in terms of building your courage muscles, in terms of building your tolerance. Um, it hoovers out self-doubt and fills you with this desire to take bold action and to really, truly trust yourself. Mm-hmm. Why is that about um, creativity? In terms of its powers to transform everything in our lives? Part of it has to do with our brain Mm -hmm. in terms of there is a physiological thing that happens inside of our brains when we are making something. Um, There's a connection. There are centers of our brain that light up that tend not to be lit up during other times of our day. 
because we're heavily logical, analytical, linear in that mode. And that's because that's the way the world runs Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. we are pulled along into that mode. So when we tap into these other parts of our brain, all kinds of things are firing in there. (laughs) There are synapses firing. There are neurotransmitters that feel amazing when they're released into the body. That's all happening. Um, In addition to that, there is this, what I call this sort of sweet reward once you have pierced the veil, because when we think about going into the kitchen or going to our studio or creating something on paper or getting our brushes and paints out or whatever it is, there's a resistance to it. That's the first thing that kind of comes through the body is, oh, it's not, I don't really know how to approach it or what to do. And what I do is not going to be very good. Those are the two, you know, fears. Right. And when we let that just, those fears just kind of hang out, but don't succumb to them. And we go ahead and do the thing and we pierce that veil. We cross the threshold now into this world. We feel this incredible rush of confidence come through us. Mm -hmm. So you have all the feel good things happening in your brain. You're connected now to what I call your creativity back channels, which are the Mm -hmm. sources of your intuition and your ideation and your imagination. So as you're making, you're getting, you're tapped into something that is beyond your experience in your sort of quote unquote regular part of your day. Mm-hmm. So you're getting, oh my gosh, I could do this, or I could, that problem could be solved by doing that. Or this challenge is not even a challenge at all. It's an opportunity. All of these things are happening in your body. Mm-hmm. The other thing that's really fun is um, something that Linda Berry talks about. She is an author and an artist. And um, she says that when you're writing something or creating something, it's coming out of your brain and coming down your shoulder down your arm, onto the, um, into your wrist and hand, and then onto the paper. But it's also going the other direction. It's coming up through your hand from mm. the paper, into your shoulder, up your neck, and into your brain. <laughs> so it's bi-directional, and it's this juicy process that when you are completely just immersed in it, and you've surrendered into it, there is um, a cascading um, emboldening that happens. It's just one thing fires, the other thing fires, the Mm -hmm. other thing fires. And simultaneously the concerns, the perfectionism, the controlling part of you, the, the concerns of being an imposter, the fears of being judged that simultaneously drops away from you. Mm -hmm. So it is a beautiful, um, dance with the most powerful part of us. And everybody has this. Everyone has this exact same opportunity to have these um, experiences and to make things. Yeah, no, you describe it so beautifully. Um, And I myself have been participating in some of your your programs. um, And I have found that it actually brings me back to my early elementary school days at times where art was a required class, right? And we would 
take out our tools and create something. But what I'm really loving about it at this stage of life is that it just gives me that ability to to get hyper focused on other things. Um, like you're saying, you know, our myself, but also just to kind of because you're so hyper focused on the thing in front of you that you're making, all the the worries and the troubles and the unknowns, right, of kind of day to day life just slip away because you're so focused on on the present moment. So absolutely. Susie, this has been such a an enlightening conversation. I'm a huge proponent of designing one's life. And it was something that inspired me to to launch my own business 14 years ago. Um, how can people find out how to work with you um, to, to purchase your book? Because I know there's a lot of exercises in the book that could help in designing your life, et cetera. So please like give us your your best pitch. <laughs> the easiest uh, way to connect with me is if you go on to my website, which is innovationandcreativityinstitute.com. And from there, you can sign up for my free weekly newsletter. That's a wonderful way to keep in touch. And um, if you'd like to order a copy of the book, um, it is currently um, offered at a discount on Amazon. And um, so I encourage you to, to check that out and you can start with wherever you are and you can approach doing the exercises in the book, however you wish, there's no prescription for how you go through the book, sort of read through the table of contents and go, go right for what feels like the most oxygen that you need right now and start there and start small. If you're pressed for time, and if you're kind of like where I was back during my nuclear winter period, when I was on an emotional and financial gurney, if that's you right now, too, you can start with as little as, you know, five to 10 minutes a day and have significant changes happen in your life. Mm -hmm. And um, so if you have questions on anything, feel you know free to reach out to me through my website. You can connect with me on social there, too. Um, and let me know how I can be of help to you. Uh, and Facebook, you're super active on Facebook, doing lots of live engagements there. So I would highly recommend people follow Susie on Facebook as well of all her socials. So thanks again for being on the show and looking forward to continually seeing how your own life design unravels and um, your domino effect and trickle on, on the rest of the world as they design their lives. Well, thank you so much for having me. You are a dear, dear, sweet friend, and I cherish our relationship. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Business of You. If you found a little dose of inspiration or learned something new, please leave a review and share it with a friend or even two. Interested in building your brand and business? Tune in next time to The Business of You podcast. And remember, there's only one you. You're the biggest differentiator your business has. Until next time, friends.